millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. On March 30, 2022, Abdul Kahar bin Othman was quietly hanged in Singapore after years on death row. We say quietly because... In Singapore, the way the death penalty is implemented is actually extremely hush-hush. So no one gets to witness the execution except for prison officers and a doctor that's cleared by the prison. That was Kirsten Han, a journalist and activist with the Transformative Justice Collective, a local group pushing for the abolishment of the death penalty in Singapore. Kahar was convicted of trafficking diamorphine in 2013 and was sentenced to death in 2015. The execution was pushed back numerous times because of court applications by his family and later the coronavirus pandemic. He was 68 years old and, according to advocates, had spent more of his life behind prison bars than as a free man. I'm Franco Luna, a reporter for Puma Podcast. In this episode, we look into the resumption of state-sponsored executions in the city-state and what lessons they hold for the Philippines, where illegal drugs remain a big problem. It is important that we also note the context in which he lived his life and the context in which he grew up and that he grew up in a situation where a lot of options were limited or not at all available to him. We are talking about somebody from a very vulnerable community who made some choices that maybe he shouldn't have and needed help to get out of that and turn things around. But instead of help, he got punishment. We spoke to Kirsten just two days after news of Abdul Kahar's hanging broke. Kirsten and a few other activists held a small vigil outside Changi Prison in Singapore that day. I asked her to describe Kahar to me. Kahar the human being, not the drug trafficker or convict. He was raised in a very poor family because his father died at the age of 40, leaving his mum, who was uneducated. And I think the brother said that she actually couldn't read. The way that Mutalib put it was, we were like wild plants in a forest. Mutalib is Kahar's brother. You just throw us there and we grow. If you grow well, that's lucky for you. If you don't grow well, then that's just your lot in life. So Kaha was one of the unlucky ones. He got into trouble with the law when he was in his teenage years. And that kind of sparked an ongoing, lifelong going in and out of prison. Kirsten says the lack of support every time Kahar got out was precisely what led to this point. The years and years in a concrete cell had fundamentally affected his psyche, so much so that the rehabilitation was nearly impossible. When he got home, he kept squatting on the floor because that was his life, right? He was no longer used to having furniture to sit on. So Mutalib said he had to keep reminding Kahar that you can sit on the chair now. You don't have to squat like this. And the punishment ended up putting him in more and more of these circumstances that made things very difficult for him to get out of this cycle. 
So that's what I mean when I, I say that we failed him because, you know, by putting him in prison, we not only didn't help him rehabilitate, but then when we released him, we left him as somebody with his prison record who then couldn't get a job easily, who was alienated and, and disoriented by the world. And then when that pressure gets too much and he relapses on drugs, again, we don't provide support. We just put him back in prison and then that cycle continues. Post-Kahar, Kirsten says at least six others on death row could possibly be executed in the coming days. Among them is Naga Enthran Dharmalingam, a 34-year-old Malaysian man who was arrested in 2009 for bringing 42.7 grams of heroin into Singapore. That's equivalent to just 1.5 ounces. Nagin's case has also made headlines for one other reason. He's intellectually disabled. He's recognized as having psychosocial disabilities because his assessment found that his IQ was far below the average. So the average being around 100, his was about 69. And apart from that, he also has ADHD and was also found to have impairments related to his executive functioning. No, it is concerning to me that his family members who have been visiting him or talking to him on the phone are flagging concerns about his mental state, saying that he seems to go in and out of lucidity, or sometimes he seems to have forgotten things that are important. There is a lot of fear when I, when I talk to families of death row prisoners. There is a lot of fear that there will be more executions because as they put it, death row is getting quite full because Singapore has been sentencing people to death at a faster rate than they've been carrying out the executions. To be clear, rights groups like the Transformative Justice Collective aren't saying that drug traffickers shouldn't be held responsible for their actions. They're simply pointing out that killing drug users who are victims of drugs themselves helps no one. Kirsten says what's worse is that local mainstream media in Singapore continue to refer to cases like Kahar's primarily by their convictions as drug traffickers. It conjures images of like drug lords, right? It's like, oh, you know, drug trafficker. It must be like when I watch Netflix and I watch Narcos and they're like massive drug rings and he's making millions. But most of the time, like that's not what I see when I encounter, you know, death row cases. A lot of times, they are mules who are doing relatively small amounts for you know relatively little money, and they are the ones that are getting hanged. We've never hanged like a big drug lord. Closer to home, and here we are at the tail end of President Duterte's regime. He's known far and wide for his drug war and for saying things like drug addicts are beyond rehabilitation. And at least three of his State of the Nation addresses. Duterte called on Congress to revive the death penalty in the country. He claims that this will help lower the crime rate and save children from the scourge of drugs. But Amnesty International reiterates that punitive drug policies will not solve the problem. It called Kahar's execution, quote-unquote, a shameful breach of international law. Kirsten says there are valuable lessons Filipinos can take away from Kahar's story. I think in the Singapore context, it's also because the government consistently reinforces this narrative. It's a narrative that does not allow Singaporeans to think about drug policy and drug use in more nuanced ways. 
we've had this policy since like the 70s and 80s and we're still hanging people today. So, you know, if it worked, why is this still happening? And if it worked, why have so many lives been lost in the Philippines? But it's the same logic that you can somehow execute and kill and deter your way out of, you know, illicit drug use. That somehow if you kill enough people, you will deter everyone else or there will be no more drug traffickers left and drug users left. And that just doesn't work, right? That's been shown in in so many countries over so many years that it doesn't work. I mean, if it works, why does Singapore have drug traffickers to hang still today? And that was today's episode of Teka Teka. Again, I'm Franco Luna. This episode was edited by Presh Capistrano and produced by Kat Ventura. And of course, don't forget to follow Teka Teka and Puma Podcast wherever you listen. Thanks for listening. 